Welcome to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive, featuring conversations with performing artists and industry influencers on what it takes to succeed in the arts. I am your host, Diane Foy, and I believe that you really can make a living from your creative talents. As a publicist, podcaster, and coach, my mission is to educate, motivate, and empower you to thrive with authenticity, creativity, and purpose. Hello and welcome to episode number one of Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. My guest today is Clayton Bellamy, who with the Roadhammers have won five Canadian Country Music Awards, a Juno Award, and So Can Songwriter of the Year. They are the best-selling Canadian country band of all time. And Clayton has an exciting new project called Clayton Bellamy and the Congregation. I got to see them live a few weeks ago at a Triumph Motorcycles VIP launch event, and it was such a good show. The band had a lot of energy with a sound that is a fantastic blend of gospel, R&B, and hard rock. And here's the interview. Hello, Clayton. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. You have a lot of exciting things happening right now. It has been an amazing year. Um, yeah, I, I don't know where to start even. You have a new band. So this is like your third solo album? This is my third record this year. Uh, I put out a, a, a greatest hits record with my band, The Roadhammers. And then I was part of a project called Black Mountain Whiskey Rebellion uh, this spring. And uh, now I just released uh, a solo album called Clayton Bellamy and the Congregation, which is, I guess, technically my uh, fifth solo record. Right. But, um, but this is, uh, I'm kind of counting this as my first um, because of the, the congregation is something completely different. It's a whole new vibe and it's uh, definitely uh, different influences of rock and R&B and gospel mixed into one, which is wicked. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, so when does that album come out? The, we just put out a, a focus track here about a month ago, and uh, the album will come out this summer. And we're just uh, about to release, uh, getting set to release a single in uh, the UK and Germany in uh, February. Will there be a video for it? Yes, we did a video for uh, the song that's out right now called Commandment Number 11, and that's probably going to be coming out um, this week. And... Uh, and then, yes, the, the, whatever the next single will be, um, I'm suspecting it's going to be a song called Church of Rock and Roll, and, uh, which is fitting for a band called The Congregation. Uh, and, uh, and that's going to be released uh, to radio in Europe and then uh, uh, worldwide digitally. What kind of musicians did you get together for this new band, The Congregation? Uh, you know what? It was a, it was a mix of... I, I selfishly wanted to do a lot of of it myself. Um, myself and my producer, Scott Baggett, had uh, really had the vision for, for what we wanted the congregation to be and sound like. Um, so I played all the guitars, uh, mostly, uh, save for a few things. I called in some friends, uh, Pat Buchanan, who uh, is um, uh, a famous Nashville session uh, player who's played with Leonard Skinner and Cindy Lauper was one of his big gigs when he was you know, younger. Um, and I also used uh, um, Oddly Freed, who uh, plays with Cheryl Crow and, and, and uh, used to play with the Black Crows. Uh, he came in and, and blasted a few solos on a few things. But uh, I, um, Scott played all the bass, and, and we had uh, 
Scott playing drums as well as um, Chad Cromwell and uh, Greg Morrow, or both of those cats we had on there. Uh, it's a, it's, the band is a two drummer concept. So we were, we were really kind of building around that, the two drummers and uh, lots of loops and, and, uh, and riffs that I'd kind of come up with. It was, it was different than that, than um, any record I'd ever made before because I hadn't, uh, I didn't sit down and write the songs like a, a singer songwriter would, right. you know, with acoustic guitars and that kind of thing. It was really a collaborative effort of trying to find more, you know, trying to find a feeling musically and, and, and create that first before, before lyrics. And what's happening with the road hammers right now? Well, the road hammers are actually, we're writing right now for a, a new record. So that's, we, we just come off of, uh, we put out a, an album called the squeeze and then we followed that up with a greatest hits record. So we've just been touring and uh, now writing for that new record. So it's a, it's definitely with all the projects that I'm involved in, it's a, it's a constant cycle of, of write, record, release, write, record, release, which is great because that's, um, that's really what I was hoping to have happen. And touring. Yes. And, and of course then, uh, and, and touring, which is, which is the most important part nowadays. For sure. Yeah. Is that what you love most? I don't know because as soon as I get sick of being on the road, I get to come home and, and just take in writing songs or, or, or doing the business part, you know? Yeah. And then when I start getting stir crazy, I get to go back out on the road. So it, it's uh, <laughs> perfect balance. It, it really is. I, I love it all. Um, of course, all in moderation. Um, but it, it's, it's, I feel like it's really healthy that, that kind of thing, not too much of either one, but, uh, but loving them all is great. Yeah. So when you were young, what first drew you to music? You know what? That's a good question. Um, um, it was always kind of something that, that I I did. I had one of my teachers kind of talk to my parents when I was like uh, a young young kid, and say that they should that they should help me encourage me in music because I had a, a gift for it. Is what she told them when I was like in grade one. Was there music classes or what? Yeah, it was it was singing and, and arts and and those kinds of things. Uh, and, and she just encouraged them to you know that. That, that I had a gift and that I should, they should, you know, encourage me in it if I wanted to choose to pursue it. So they always did that. So I, I was always involved in choir, um, singing in church and singing in, in school. Um, and then I, I, that developed into singing solo at, uh, talent shows and these kinds of things, and then starting to play the guitar and, and, you know, at 15, 16, I was playing in a band and, with a bunch of older guys, like I was, they were all, cause I come from a, a small farming community in Northern Alberta. There's not a whole lot of opportunities as far as, um, you know, getting out to see shows and stuff like that. I didn't know how you did that. Uh, yeah. I, that was completely foreign to me. Uh, all I knew was that I could, I could play music and I could sing. And I started playing with these guys who were all kind of in their, in their late thirties and forties and they had this this country band and i went around and, and sang old country standards at all these kind of uh, hall dances and 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 stuff and i did that until i i went to went off to college and studied music and music business and how long was that program it was 2 years i was in in uh, 
in that program and learned, you know, a lot about vocal performance and like lots of technical stuff and, and a lot, you know, about the business side of things, um, at least um, as far as they could teach it as, in a, as a green, you know, kid r- fresh off the farm, you know. Well, it's definitely good to know the business part of it. You know, a lot of artists don't have that. Yeah, it, it, it really, it, it definitely gave me an edge going into what I was doing. I, I really, I always treated playing in a band like running a small business, which, you know, I, my hustle has always been like that. And I think largely due to that, you know, my, my, my teacher in uh, one of my profs in, in college you know, I walked into the room on the first day and he wrote music business on the, on the whiteboard. And then he just turned to us and he said, which is the bigger word? And obviously it's business. And he said, exactly. He said, if you don't do the business, you don't get to do the music. And, and that was, that's always been my philosophy is that, you know, the, the business is way more important. The, the, the music, they call it playing for a reason because it's fun. You get to play. Uh, yeah but the 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 business stuff you have to you know that's where you you know be able to make a living and you be able to uh, kind of grow and and have and have more opportunities as if you're taking care of that so So after college then what like how long was it between say college and when the road hammer started so what's what was your life like in that period what were you doing i was like a I was like a stray dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I, I started a band out of college. Um, and then at that time there was, there was clubs that you could, you know, there was a kind of a circuit of, of music, of bands and clubs that you could go and play six nights a week, travel on Sundays and just stay out on the road doing that. Wow. Uh, if you were a good cover band. Yeah. So, I mean, that doesn't exist anymore, but then it did. And so I got involved in that with, uh, with a band I started in college, which, which quickly fell apart. Um, you know, no one in there really had the wherewithal or, the, you know, to, to want to do that, that in a serious fashion. So I had to start from scratch again. I, I joined a couple of bands. I bounced around until I found, you know, some musicians that were kind of good and dedicated and started you know doing this thing of touring pretty much all as far as on the regular i'd go out from vancouver to um thunder bay kind of never really quite get to toronto that was always you know or or past it it was always that was western canada and that's that's where i went back and forth and then down into the states i would play uh you know in the the dakotas North, South Dakota, Wyoming, uh, Montana, all, all in there. And that would, I would just kind of cover that. And I did that for seven years, wow. you know, which was essentially cutting my teeth. You know, I didn't realize that at the time, but that's what I was doing. I was honing my craft, doing that six nights a week, playing guitar, you know, singing and learning songs and learning how to perform and engage an audience when they don't want to be engaged. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, which sometimes can be dangerous. <laughs> um, and, and that's what, uh, that's really what um, kind of turned me into a performer. And, and at that same time too, I was, you know, over that time I was starting to write and 
travel down to Nashville and, and meet people and make connections and, uh, and I record. And, and I knew then that that was, you know, when I, I, I wanted to start making my own music and, and I knew that this thing of just going around and playing other people's songs wasn't, you know, wasn't going to cut it for me. I needed to do my own thing yeah. and play my own songs. And you, did you release a couple solo albums then? Yes, I, I released um, two solo records and uh, they both did absolutely well. They didn't, uh, the first record I, I released, it, it won a, an Alberta Recording Industry Award, which was really cool. Um, that, that really made me feel like I was on the right track. Yeah. Um, and, and, and definitely spurred me on. I did an EP of five songs and, uh, and, and after winning that, it just really spurred me on to want to write more. And that's all I really wanted to do. So I released a, a full length album and then it didn't really do anything or pull me out of uh, the clubs where I wanted to be. Right. So I ended up um, disbanding the band and I moved to Nashville for a year and I spent a year down there just kind of living in the city and writing songs and meeting people and just trying to network my way around um, the city there. And um, after a year of that, I moved back to Canada, back to Calgary, and that's where I had the audition um, for the Road Hammers. So that was like an open call audition, or did you get some kind of connection? No, that was definitely a, a, a who you know kind of call. Right. Um, Jason McCoy was, I, I had only known him peripherally. Like we had met, you know, crossing past backstage before at, at shows. Um, cause he was still, he was a big deal at the time. He had just won a, uh, country music award for male vocalists of the year. He was, you know, he was on the top of his game as a solo artist. He had a platinum record with born again in Dixieland. Um, back when there was platinum records, you know, um, and, and I was still just kind of a upstart, you know, guy who I had a name in the in the prairies, but that was it. And I and I hadn't really played any big shows or been on any big tours. I'd been an opener for you know, I was like the consummate opener right. all the time. Uh, but what I had was, uh, you know, uh, I had, I had made friends with a drummer. Uh, who was uh, Jason McCoy's drummer. And he, I, I didn't know that he was, but I'd used him, Scott Christensen. Um, I'd used him to uh, play some shows with me um, back in the day. And when Jason was looking for uh, his kind of rock and roll guy to his country guy, um, he started holding auditions out in Ontario and he had auditioned about a dozen guys and couldn't find the right fit. And, and Scott just kept telling him, you got to come out west, come out to Calgary, you have to meet Clayton. Um, so I got the call. And the first time I kind of <laughs> I was, I, I was a little dis disenfranchised from my trip, my, my time in Nashville, and, and my failed solo record that I, I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. Right. But um, after much encouragement, um, you know, I went down and I met Jason and I met Chris and I agreed to an audition. So he gave me a, you know, half a dozen songs. And at that time I had, uh, never played lead guitar in a band. So I had, uh, I basically, I would take the odd 
you know, guitar solo, but he was really looking for somebody who was going to be, uh, you know, doing guitar solos too. So I had a week to learn these, uh, these songs that he had sent me. And I remember uh, I had a gig at the same time um, up in Yellowknife for some reason. And I had to, I sat in the back of this van. I don't even remember talking to anybody else in the band for the whole trip up and the whole trip back. <laughs> All I did was have my headphones on learning these songs just to the best of my abilities, you know, and um, it, it turned out great. The, a week later I showed up at the audition and they didn't tell me they were filming, but the, at the time they were filming the first season of the Roadhammers television show. And Joel Stewart, who was the director and producer of the, the TV show, just met me at the door. And I'm like, what are you doing here, Joel? And he's like, well, we're, we're filming a TV show. So uh, I hope you learned your stuff because you're going to be on live. You know, we're going to film this audition. The world to see. Exactly. Don't be nervous. I was already nervous. I'd never been in an audition. I'd never even you know stood on that side of the stage to play uh in a band before i'd always been center so here i am i walk in the room i, I don't really know any, you know anybody i know scott and uh you know luckily i had over prepared for the audition you know i knew the tempos i knew the songs i knew the solos i, I knew the words so when people were kind of going well i, I don't you know scott's like well, how fast does this go and i just kind of piped up i said well it's you know, it's, it's, it's one, one ten BPM. And, and right away, you know, it was bam, we were into the song and, and these kinds of little things where I just really showed up over prepared. And, and the whole time we're, we're playing these songs, Jason's just smiling away and I'm like, all right, this, this is looking good. He's smiling. And, uh, after I'm, I'm done, they, uh, they left the room with the cameras and Jason and, and I'm just kind of standing there with Chris and Scott and, uh, said well that's a good sign buddy you did good he never smiled at any of the other auditions <laughs> <laughs> that's a good sign yeah exactly so i i really i they came back into the room and with the cameras and jason and, and uh, they just they offered me the gig right there on 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 camera if you watch the first season of the road hammer so that scene uh, that's all kind of real time it's not staged it was all you know right there and then and and i accepted and the rest was kind of history really is that show still available to see online maybe on cmt well to be honest i'm not sure and uh, the cmt is kind of defunct here in canada yeah um i don't know where it is available uh i would love to have it i don't own a copy of either season and uh it, it was really a, a, an exciting journey you to look back and and see you know even as as much as i'd been playing and as much as i had been uh you know, touring and had gone to college and studied music and all these things, <clears throat> just how green I was at that time was unreal. When I look back on it, <clears throat> like I, I'd, I'd never set foot on a tour bus. I'd never seen uh, what a national tour looked like, or even, you know, the, <clears throat> the, um, what it took to put something like that together and the amount of people I'd never had a record deal or a, or a manager or a publisher and all of that stuff kind of just happened overnight suddenly um you know and that that same year i got married and i had a baby and we had a number one record like all in one year and it's like my feet never touched the ground i don't even remember most of it you know it was just a blur was that like 2004 2005 right after that audition we we kind of went headlong into into making the record uh i 
I actually got a couple of songs that I, I um, co-wrote with the band with Jason and Chris and uh, on there. And, um, and we put this album together and it, and it dropped in, in two, at the end of 2005 and along with the TV show and it just exploded, you know, the album went platinum and the, the, uh, it, it debuted at number one and we had uh, a number one single on it with Eastbound and Down and uh, three top fives. So it it was uh, it was unreal. Uh, how the it was just that that um, instant of preparation meeting opportunity, which is which is what I I believe that's what I call luck all the time is is that it's nothing but preparation meeting opportunity. It was just that little spark in the grass, and it just went boom, and that was it. And then uh, two years later, we signed a deal with Sony in Nashville, and uh, we released that same record with a, with a new name called blood, sweat and steel down in the U S and we were touring and recording and, uh, you know, never looked back for, we're five albums deep now. Wow. And it's such an amazing band. And when I saw you guys live, it was so much fun and you won a lot of awards, CCMA awards and Juno for the road hammers, right? Yeah, absolutely. We've been, we've been really blessed, you know, five CCMA awards, uh, three time, group of the year uh, we won a juno for that first album for uh, country recording of the year uh which was was unreal i still have to pinch myself when i when i you know think about being in that class with with the the other artists that are that call themselves juno award winners it's it's pretty amazing uh, to think about you know and it uh it's it's always it's just continued you know last year we won group of the year again which you know you after 13 years as a band, you start to kind of go, well, we're just, you know, now we're, we're going to be relegated to the, the old boys club, or we're just going to be the, the, the bridesmaid and never the bride. Yeah. The one that's the, that group that's nominated every year, but never wins. <laughs> exactly. And there we go. We pulled off a win uh, last year or the year before. So it, it was amazing. When did you move to Nashville? Was that with the road hammers? I went back and forth there. I moved, I moved in uh, 04 to Nashville and then I moved back in, um, uh, 08. Yeah. Oh, oh actually might've been 07. I'm in 07. I moved back there and I spent, uh, seven years in do Nashville. Do the Roadhammers still have a fan base in the U S? Yeah, we, we do. There's a, a lot of, um, more than the, you know, because, because of the, the gift of satellite radio and the internet and these things now, um, you know, the Roadhammers have continued, even though we haven't had a record deal there. Um, have continued to kind of flourish in those niche markets. Uh, and we also, you know, have a really great name in the industry, you know, which is something I'm really proud of is that, you know, I became, we both, our band and, and us as, as, as individuals became part of the fabric of Nashville, you know, look, um, and uh, have, you know, people knew, when you mention our band or you, they or our names, they they know who we are in the industry, which is really uh, some uh, an accomplishment that I hold dear to my heart. You know, yeah, um, for sure. Getting to do things like play the Grand Ole Opry and uh, and being invited to the Ryman, um, you know, these these kinds of um, milestones that um, you know really set set you apart and and really stick with you. In your career. It's such a milestone for country music. It's that's that's the town you, that you want to be in, Nashville. Yeah, absolutely. What kind of music were you listening to when you were growing up? Was it 
country? Was it rock? Was it all over the place? Yeah, no, it wasn't country at all. And I, I was never really exposed to country music, to be honest. The closest, when I really got into country music is when I discovered uh, Steve Earle. Um, Copperhead Road and then uh, El Corazon was really an impactful record for me. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I dove into the left side of the pool uh, right off the bat with country music. It was I was listening to Steve Earle. I was listening to John Prine. I was listening to Towns Van Zant, Guy Clark. That was the stuff that really interested me, the weird stories. And, the, and the, I wanted to hear the, you know, you know the, the, the storytelling songwriter stuff was what I loved. And uh, <clears throat> other than that, growing up, I listened to, to rock and roll. You know, I, I listened to Humble Pie. I listened to Otis Redding. And I was li- growing up on, on uh, Joe Cocker and, uh, you know, the, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, that's, that's kind of where I cut my teeth musically as a kid. So that's kind of what I brought to, to the Hammers was that kind of swagger where Jay was kind of always coming from a, a side of old country. He is like a, an, an old con- uh, classic country historian. He could tell you anything about any and never be stumped. I've never seen him stumped. You ask him a question about, about a, a classic country artist or a song and he'll tell you just like wow. that. Yeah. I want to talk to him now. Yeah, it's it's really. I'm something. a country girl. I I grew up on country. <laughs> there you go. Oh, yeah. So then you guys would get along great, and it was that um, kind of mixture too. I think that what really made the band set apart because you know when we were playing live and stuff, he's coming from that side of of being a, a you know that even just way he plays guitar as opposed to way I I tackle the instrument and and those things together just uh, you know really is what made the band what it was or what it is yeah and that's usually my favorite bands too that have that mix you know because i love all kinds of music i love rock i love you know country i love hip-hop i love everything so when it's all kind of combined i'm like ah, oh, that's my band and i think i've heard you say that you love you know steve ravon and the black crows like those are some of my favorite bands too yeah, absolutely. And th- those, and all of that stuff is, like I said, when I, when I kind of brought as influences, because I remember it blowing my mind thinking, well, you've, you've never listened to the Black Crows? You've, you've never heard of Humble Pie? I mean, it, it just back then it was, it was, it was odd. Now we've spent so many years on the road and, and swapping music and stuff with each other that, uh, you know, we, we've kind of versed ourselves in, in, in each other's influences. After the success of the Road Hammers, what made you want to go and do a solo album again? No matter what kind of band you're in, if you're a creator, you know, there's always a certain, like, especially with the Road Hammers, you know, it had such a, um, a certain thing about it. You know, it, you can only say so many things in the, in the, in the circle that is the Road Hammers as far as musically. And, uh, I, for me, I just wanted to, you know, I had other things I wanted to say and other places I wanted to go creatively, um, with this project with the congregation, that's kind of, that's kind of what that, what that was. Um, and it was also, a um, it, for me, it, it turned into a reinvention of myself. Um, it was, it was something different that I'd never done before. And, uh, I wanted it to be uh, kind of outside myself, like 
you know, Clayton Bellamy doesn't really exist in the congregation. Um, the preacher man does, uh, but, but not, not Clayton, the, the guy who, who, you know, kind of comes home and chases his kids around and, and, uh, you know, lives out in the, in the, in the woods in Bonneville, Alberta, you know, that guy isn't in the congregation. Um, I, I wanted to create something that was almost a caricature of myself and, and, but also was, um, this was kind of like, for lack of a better term, this was kind of my Ziggy Stardust album. Yeah. Cause you had two albums before, uh, everyone's a dreamer and five crow silver. How, how has your progression gone from that 2012 album to now? Well, those, those two records were really an extension of my singer songwriter kind of, persona you know wanting to kind of express myself in that like we were talking about those influences the steve earls the guy clarks the um um those kind of those kind of folks and um i was finding as i was going along um that path for two records that it those other influence those rock and roll influences kind of were coming out and showing themselves more and more and uh not only that it because of they because they were and because of the sound of my voice and the way i was producing the records it wasn't being accepted really in the country world you know yeah. um and the the albums were they were always they were was you know it was good they were always being um critically accepted but not um commercially um, yeah, I remember, I think, when we met, uh, you had an album with Gordy Johnson that wasn't out, but, you know, I saw you live, and I was like, I, I went to the show because I thought, oh, Clayton Bellamy, Roadhammers, country, I'm going to go get my country on, and then you just exploded on stage with this wicked rock and roll band, and I was just blown away, um, but I remember we talked, and you weren't going to release that album or you were advised not to release that album at that time because it would be a shock to your country fans. Is that right? Yeah. And I, that was a battle that I, that I um, ended up winning. Um, and that was part of, of the progression into the congregation where I, I, I got to a point in my life where I needed to, you know, reinvent myself um, completely as an artist. Um, I was reinventing myself as an individual, uh, starting out on my own again, um, and uh, being single uh, and being uh, moving back from you know into a new place and knew all of these things new. And I just I knew that as an artist, I definitely didn't want to go back to the same place. Uh, that uh, I really hung my hat on this David Bowie quote, where he and I'm paraphrasing, but he was saying that. Uh, if unless you're swimming in the deep end where your feet can't touch bottom, then you're not really creating your best work. You're not living dangerously enough with your art. And, and I really, that's where I wanted to be. That's where I wanted to be making music that, that was dangerous and that was different and, and that I had never done before. And it was, and it was hard. It's, it, it was, it was something that I, I wasn't even sure if that I could do when I first started writing songs like that and trying to collaborate with people and, and it, they sucked. The, the, the songs sucked and the, the collaborators didn't get, get what I was trying to do. I had to, I had to go out and seek uh, out uh, different people outside of my circle of, of, of um, you know, influence to try and, and, and come up with great songs. And it, it took 
it took a couple of years of writing and hundreds of songs uh, before I really started to find my groove and and reinvent how I I create and it, so it was uh, definitely a scary experience but it was kind of a rebirth at the same time. Yeah, you have you have to take a risk to to get to the greatness. And that's and that's really what I was like I like I said hanging my hat on that quote. I was like, all right, well if that's if that's what he says that I got to do, then I'm going to do it because this stuff that I'm making now is shit. You know, and I don't want to make this anymore. I don't believe it. If I don't believe it, how am I going to expect anybody else out in the world to listen to it and make and, and believe it? And how do those songs come about if you're not, is it just the co-writer's influence? Or how, how do those songs just come about that you wrote, but they're not you? The past ones, you mean? Yeah, but the ones that you were saying were shit. <laughs> uh, well, at the time, I was just, I think... Um, it, I don't know if it was the co-writer part, but it was just the, I think the, you get into a place where you just are comfortable with and you know how the song is going to go. And you can, you know, someone comes up with an idea and you say something that you've said a uh, hundred times before and you just, you just keep going down that path. Uh, more like a formula and kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. And you, and you, you know, I've been writing that formula for 10 years. So I, I know what I'm going to say before I even say it. I could see the song and how it's going to lay out. Whereas, um, you know, and I still have to fight with those habits, those certain, you know, everyone has their, their, their things that they go to or their go-tos, whether it's chord changes or whether it's a vocal uh, ways they sing something, you know, but so you have to fight against that. And I think that's what really what Bowie was talking about is, is pushing past those things and, 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 living dangerously in your creative space, you know, and that uh, once I started doing that, then I, I, I started really making something that I was excited about. Yeah. And creating your own sound and figuring out where you're going with what direction you're going in as well. Yeah. And, and one of the best compliments that I've heard since this music has come out uh, with the congregation is that people are saying, that I've found my own, my music like that, that this sounds like, like me because my whole career as a solo artist, I've always heard that same thing. Well, this, you know, that it, the, the music doesn't match the man. Right. Whereas as now that's, you know, that's the, the feedback that I'm getting. So I feel like I've, I've, I've struck a chord and that I'm, I'm on the right path. I, I did what I needed to do to get there. Yeah. And you, you can't discount, you know, all those experiences to get here. Cause that's part of the journey. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, and uh, had I not been in the road hammers or not done any of that, I, you know, I wouldn't be ready to do what I'm doing yeah. now. It's exciting. It's really exciting. It's uh, it's been a, a great ride. Do you have any advice for musicians coming up that kind of look at your career and go, oh, he's so successful. I want that. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think especially in this day and age, it's an instant gratification thing. Everybody wants to be Insta famous. Everybody wants to be freaking on the main stage now. They want it right now. And of course I did that too. When I was coming up, I want it now. And I couldn't, I had my head so far up my ass. I couldn't see that I clearly wasn't ready for, for that, but there's a, there's a certain swagger that you get that you can't get unless you've 
done your time. You know, yeah. uh, you have to work at it. It's, it's, it's about uh, building a career is, is like uh, a good friend of mine, Mike Plume said this. He said, building a good career is like building, laying bricks in a wall. And every day you go out and you're putting, laying those bricks, that foundation. So that way, as you're going up that, that wall and that wall gets higher, as you continue to work, um, if somebody pulls a brick out from underneath you, you only go down one brick and you can continue to, because there's always going to be setbacks. But if you're, uh, if, if you win a, a, a singing contest on TV and overnight become a, you know, a super successful or, you know, this, this thing like, a and then somebody pulls a brick out from underneath you. Well, you go right back to the bottom. You disappear. Yeah, because you don't have that foundation. Exactly. I, my advice to somebody is to is to do that. To focus on 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 building those bricks and treating it like you're 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 running a small business. And and every day you get up and you hustle and you do good work and write. Do your best to hone your craft as far as you know writing great songs and. You know, one thing that I've always done and, and always tell everybody is to surround yourself with excellence. You know, the, the best players that you can find, the, the best writers that you can find, the, you know, the best producers that you can find. And no, you can't always afford them or you can't always, um, you know, get them to work with you or whatever. But that, that at times, you know, even just befriending them at times is, is enough to kind of get you down the trail and you just keep developing those relationships. And, um, you know, that to me is how you grow as an artist and as a, you know, in the music business and, and just keep building those bricks in a wall. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so I read recently you're, you're working on an, a bursary of some sort to help, uh, you know, kids in the arts. Yeah, actually, uh, I just had a meeting about uh, the fun uh, the fundraiser last night. But, uh, in when I went to college, when I left home and went to college, I I, I got a a twenty five hundred dollar bursary from the uh, the Fine Arts Society here in Bonneville, and um, as kind of part of something of trying to give back to that, um, I started a, a bursary now that uh, through the Northern Lights School District that um, is going to hopefully continue on an annual basis where kids can apply um, to get money to help them further further their uh, fine arts education, whether that's in dance or that's in music or, or, or drama. Um, it's just something that I want to do to kind of give back to the area that gave me so much and, and gave me my start. So, that's uh, we're just in the midst of, of um, finalizing all of the kind of application procedures for that. And, uh, and looking forward to, to watching that grow and seeing the next kind of generation of, of artists and kids come out of, out of this area. Yeah. It's important because like so much of the arts are being taken out of schools. They really are. And, you know, out here where, where I grew up um, there's, there's not a lot of programs once you get out of, junior high there's nothing in the high schools and there's nothing and it's you know never mind you know just get on my apple box for a second but you know never mind the fact that you know maybe you're not going to be the next uh springsteen or bowie or or whatever but you 
music as an outlet for kids. Um, not every kid is a, is a, a jock, you know, play hockey or basketball or whatever. I wasn't. And if I didn't have music as my outlet, I don't know kind of what, what I would have done, you know, or gotten into. Yeah. And, and to me, that's what I, what I really look at it as is that it's a, it's a form of expression trying to sort your shit out at that age. And, and to have that is really important. Um, and, you know, kids are, our, are one of our most precious resources and, and I'm really passionate about inspiring them and to, to do what they want to do to follow their dreams. So, so this is important to me to, to kind of give that to the community. Yeah, that's great. I asked this of a lot of my guests. What is your big picture? Why, why do you do what you do? What is it that drives you? Wow. That's a good question. I get deep. <laughs> Right on, we're getting deep here on the show. Um, my big picture why, uh, I think I've always just had this compulsion to create. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I, like I can remember making stuff up and, and making up songs and making up rhymes. And, and it, it excites me like, like nothing else really does. Um, and it's just always been something that I chase is that muse. Uh, and and because I know that she doesn't always come around, I'm always looking for her. And and it never, if anything, it's gotten um, it's gotten stronger as the years have gone by. I love it more, and and it, it excites me more. Um, and that's always what what what's kind of driven me to to want to do what I do. Because there's lots of things you can do for a living that are a lot easier and a lot more comfortable, (laughs) you know, uh, as opposed to being in music and and doing that thing. But you got to want it more than anything else. Yeah, you really do. You have to, if you're going to do this as a, as a, as a living, you have to really want to just be involved in every aspect of, of it, of it. And, and I've always just wanted to immerse myself in it. Um, whether that be, you know, writing, producing, touring, uh, you know, just doing this interview, you know, all of it is it, to me is it's exciting. And it's, it's what, when I get up out of bed is what, you know, fires me up and motivates me to attack the day. So I, I, that's, that's why I continue to do it and don't go on to do something else because it, it's, that's the thing. And it's that when I grew up, I was always, a as my dad always had this saying, he said, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I really, I, I don't feel like I ever have. And as long as that's still there, I'm going to continue to do it. Wonderful. Anything else to add before we wrap up? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, if, if, if people want to follow me uh, on Instagram at Clayton Bellamy, uh, they can check out the new song right now. Commandment number 11. It's on, uh, Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon and all those places where you download your stream your music. Cool. Thank you for joining. Awesome. Thanks so much, Diane. It was so great talking to Clayton. My goal for these interviews is for us to be inspired by thriving artist journeys and also to motivate us if we need to step up our game in this creative life. Some takeaways from this interview is that everyone sees the success of a band like the Roadhammers, but what they don't see is the more than a decade of work that Clayton put in before even being in the band. 
A key thing that Clayton mentioned was his college professor saying, if you don't do the business, you don't get to do the music. He really took that to heart and always took care of the business aspects of his career. Next, he spent seven years on the road honing his craft and learning how to engage an audience. And all that prepared him for the success of the Road Hammers. Clayton mentioned the, quote, preparation meeting opportunity, and he came to the Hammers audition overprepared and got the gig. Another important part of his story is after all the success, he felt he needed to reinvent himself. The singer-songwriter solo albums that he put out, he didn't feel were an honest representation of who he was as an artist. He's a rocker at heart, and he needed an outlet. He needed to get out of his comfort zone and take some risk with his songwriting. And the result is the new project, The Congregation, that we all get to enjoy right now. So be sure to go see them on the road this year and check out the new music when it comes out. For more detailed show notes, you can visit dianefoy.com slash 001. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on your preferred podcast app. And if you really love it, you can rate and review it. That would help us a lot. And share it with your fellow performing artists. Thanks for listening to Sing, Dance, Act, Thrive. Be sure to join the mailing list at dianefoy.com to gain access to exclusive bonus content, a weekly newsletter, and an invitation to our private Facebook group of purpose-driven performing artists and industry influencers. Music